God is concerned about the needy, especially among his people, and so should we be. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10? While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those of the household of faith. That's what God was doing with these laws. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Just how active is the amazing providence of God? Does He really plan and ordain every moment throughout human history? And does He, as a Heavenly Father, lovingly and personally look after each child who belongs to Him? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom has part seven of his current series, Ruth. We're studying in God's Word the Old Testament book of Ruth and the personal portrait of the cycle of sin and deliverance during the time of the judges. The repeating cycle of disobedience followed by God's judgment, then repentance of the people concluded by God's deliverance and restoration. Today, Tom will look at the final part of this cycle in one specific family, God's deliverance of Naomi through her newly redeemed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Let's find out more as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. The theme of this, the second half of chapter 1 is this, Yahweh demonstrates himself to be a savior by restoring the land from drought and famine to food, by restoring Naomi from sin to repentance, and by converting Ruth from idolatry to salvation. The hero of the second half of the first chapter is not Ruth, it's God. It's God who snatches victory from defeat, who snatches rescue from idol worship. This is God. Now, this act is composed of three scenes. First of all, there's the spiritual restoration of God's child. In verses 6 through 14, you have the restoration of Naomi, who had obviously been complicit in her husband's sin. Because after his death, shortly after they arrived there, she stays knowing that means her two boys are going to marry idol worshipers. But God brings her to repentance and she decides to return. He restores her to himself. The second act, or the second scene rather in this act, is that of the spiritual salvation of God's enemy in verses 15 to 18. This is the the conversion of Ruth, a pagan idolatress, one who worshipped a God that called for the sacrifice of infants. And God, in an amazing act of grace, reaches into this country filled with idol worshippers and draws this woman to himself uses even the rebellion of this family as a part of that salvation. The final scene in Act 2 is Naomi's own spiritual perception of what had happened. Her spiritual perception was that she was experiencing God's chastening. Look at verse 21, chapter 1. Why, when she returns to Bethlehem, She says, why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witness against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? She says, why do you call me pleasant? That's what her name means. 
And then she makes two statements that explain why she believes she should be called something entirely different. First of all, the Lord has witnessed against me. This is legal language from the courtroom. She is the accused. Yahweh has found her guilty of sin against him. And in light of that sin, notice the Almighty has afflicted me. Shaddai has inflicted calamity or disaster upon me. The word afflicted is often used, the Hebrew word, to describe the disasters that God sent to fulfill the curses in the Mosaic Covenant. This is the language of divine chastening. Naomi believed on her return to Bethlehem that all she had experienced was the result of the divine chastening in her life. So, that's act two. Act one, the far country. Act two, the journey home. Now tonight we come to the third act in this great drama. And I've called act three, Yahweh's protection and provision. They've They're back in Bethlehem. Naomi's back in Bethlehem. Ruth now has accompanied her as a new convert to Yahweh. And this chapter unfolds beautifully to illustrate how God cares for his own. You see, Ruth, the book of Ruth, provides a personal portrait of the cycle of sin and deliverance that occurred during the period of the Judges. The other guys are preaching on Sunday night through the book of Judges, and and they've illustrated that the cycle of the Judges was one of disobedience, followed by God's judgment, followed by the repentance of the people, followed by God's deliverance and restoration. That national cycle is repeated in this book, but in the life of one Hebrew family. Tonight, we see that fleshed out on a personal level. The final part of that cycle, God's deliverance of Naomi through her newly redeemed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Let me read for you just part of this section. I'll begin reading in chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab... And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Let's stop there. The point of this section, and and really the rest of chapter 2, is that through his providence, God always cares for those who have come to find refuge in him. Remember now, Naomi and Ruth are now both genuine worshipers of Yahweh. Naomi has repented and returned to her God, and Ruth has recently been converted from the worship of Chemosh, the Moabite deity, to embrace Yahweh, the living and true God, the God of Israel. In addition to that, both of these women are widows. In addition to that, Ruth 
is a sojourner in the land of Israel. And she's practically an orphan since she left her parents, you remember, back in Moab. In this section, then, we see the heart of God. The heart of God to care for the needy, to care for the disadvantaged, but especially to care for those who belong to him. He cares for their immediate needs in this chapter, their immediate need for food, frankly, for that very day. But at the same time, God sets in motion a series of circumstances which he planned to care for their long-term needs as well. Now, this third act in the story of Naomi and Ruth consists also of three scenes. Tonight, we're just going to make it through the first of these three scenes. The first scene really just sets up the meeting between Boaz and Ruth that begins in verse 4 and following. This first scene demonstrates this, that Yahweh arranges human circumstances to care for his own. He arranges our lives, the circumstances, the details of our lives to ensure that he cares for those who belong to him. Now, the, the last verse of chapter 1 that I read for you is a sort of transition verse between chapter 1 and 2. The first half of the verse summarizes the events of chapter 1. Notice how verse 22 Begins, now Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. That summarizes what has already transpired. The second half of that verse sets the time and the place of chapter 2. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So the following events occur in Bethlehem. You remember Bethlehem means the house of bread. And in the time was the barley harvest. When was that? According to the oldest calendar that's been found in Israel, the Gezer calendar, barley harvest began in late April or early May. Now, this is a crucial detail to the story on several levels. It shows, first of all, that God had removed the drought from the land. You remember back in chapter 1, she heard that, notice verse 6, that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. And so they return, and they return during the harvest. There's, there's food again. He ended the famine, and food would now be easily available for these two recent widows. Because it was the time of the harvest, they would be able to gather enough food to last them through the coming dry season. You know, we're not used to thinking like this. When we lack food, we we make a grocery list and we go to the grocery store. It doesn't work like that in an ancient agricultural society. Instead, you have to think, during the harvest time, I've got to store away enough food to last me to the next harvest time. And so they arrive at a key time in God's goodness and providence. The fact that it was harvest time plays another important part of the story, and that is it provided the remarkable opportunity for Ruth to meet the third key character in the story. He's introduced to us in chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
Now, the author of this book here relays four important details about this man. First of all, notice he was a kinsman or a relative of Naomi's husband. Go over to chapter 4, verse 3. You remember eventually, Boaz sits down with the closer relative in the gate to decide who's going to get the property and, oh, by the way, who's going to have to marry Ruth. And verse 3 says, He said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land, now watch this, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. We don't know for sure what that means. Typically, the kinsman redeemer, that's the issue here, was either an actual brother, could have been an uncle, or could possibly have been a cousin, but a close relative nonetheless. So Boaz was not directly related to Naomi, but rather was related to her husband, Elimelech, was either his brother, his uncle, or his cousin. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, we're also told that this is a man of great wealth. Now, this is a little bit difficult to interpret because this Hebrew expression can mean several different things. It can mean a valiant warrior. It's used that way, for example, in Judges 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Same expression is here. But since there's no hint in this book of Boaz being a warrior, that's probably not what we have. Secondly, it, it can mean a man of wealth, as it's translated here. This may be what the author has in mind, since we're soon going to discover that this man, in fact, is wealthy. He has a, a large field. He has servants. He has sufficient uh, supplies for himself, for his servants, and even to give away. But this expression can also refer to a person of excellent character. In fact, this same expression, translated a man of wealth or a man of great wealth in verse 1, is used of Ruth, and clearly she was not a person of great wealth. Go over to chapter 3, verse 11. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you, Boaz says to Ruth, whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are, and here's the female version, a woman of excellence. So the phrase can speak of a noble or an excellent character. By the way, it's also used that way in Proverbs 31, verse 10, of the virtuous woman. An excellent wife, same expression, again in the feminine form, who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. So I think probably these last two are both implied. Boaz was a prominent wealthy, influential landowner in Bethlehem. He was also probably an Ephrathite, just as as Elimelech had been. Therefore, he was one of the aristocrats, one of the blue bloods in Bethlehem. But he was at the same time a man of noble and excellent character. Now, verse 1 adds a third important detail about this man. He was from the family of Elimelech. The word family is better translated clan. In other words, he belonged to the same division of the same Jewish tribe 
as Naomi's husband. That's going to become very important later in the story. And finally, we're told that his name was Boaz. There's a lot of discussion in the scholarly literature about the, the source of this name. What does it mean? We can't be absolutely certain what it means, but many scholars believe it contains the idea of strength. Not physical strength so much as a strength of, of character, a strength of person. Now, with that explanation, we're ready to go back to Ruth and to see what happens next. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. This is important at this point. I don't think we really grasp how desperate these two women were. Whatever supplies they had brought with them from Moab have now run out. So Ruth immediately has to begin to think about how they can actually survive, how they can acquire the food they need just to keep on living. And she has a plan. They've arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so she intends to glean, the word is. That word means to gather the scraps left by those who are harvesting the, the grain, the barley. In other words, she's going to come behind the reapers and pick up any ears of grain that the harvesters either left uncut with their manual slings or that they accidentally dropped. By the way, this is what the barley harvest looks like. This is a barley field in Israel ready for harvesting. Here is a a field that the harvesting process is underway. You can see sort of what that looks like as it's, it's cut down. It's not a neat and tidy process as with modern equipment. And here is what the grains look like of wheat and barley. Barley is the darker grains and the darker bread, wheat the lighter grain with the lighter bread. You can see that this is what they were hoping to do, to get these grains from the field, from the, the pieces of, of grain, the stalks of grain that are dropped or that it accidentally left uncut, and then to have the grain to make bread. Now, probably she had learned uh, from Naomi, Ruth had, that the Mosaic law required the, the landowners to allow gleaners, to allow those who came behind the harvesters to get the scraps. This is stipulated in a number of places. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 and verse 9. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest... Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger, the person who doesn't belong to Israel. I am Yahweh your God. Turn over to chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning. In other words, don't go back and pick up the scraps. 
You are to leave them for the needy and the alien, the the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf, that's a, that's a bundle of grain now that you've harvested and tied together. That's a sheaf. You've forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And this isn't just true for grain. Verse 20, when you beat your olive tree, they would beat the olive tree to cause it to shed its fruit. You shall not go over the boughs again. In other words, don't go back saying, I want to get every last olive. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. Same thing is true with the grape harvest. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Now, what do we learn from those verses? God demanded that those harvesting grain deliberately leave the grain in the corners of the field. In addition, they weren't to go back over the field after it had been harvested and and pick up the scraps. Moreover, if in the process of all of that, they bound a bundle of grain together in a sheaf and they accidentally forgot it and left it behind, they weren't to go back and pick it up. Instead, all of these things were to be left as God's way of caring for the poor, the disenfranchised, and the sojourner. You know, you can see in this law the compassion of God for those who are needy. The point of these commands for us is crystal clear. God is concerned about the needy, especially among his people, and so should we be. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10? While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those of the household of faith. That's what God was doing with these laws. You know, the other thing we learned, though, is God's wisdom in this. We learn how God provided for the needs of the poor. And there's a, there's a way other than outright gifts. Those were not the only way to care for the poor, although at times that was appropriate. But another way that God provided for them was by giving them an opportunity to work and provide for themselves. This is what's going on here. In fact, look back in Ruth and look at verse 7. Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. She said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. This is a report of the, the foreman, Boaz's foreman, to Boaz. Thus she came and has remained from the morning. She came early in the morning to the harvest fields as the harvest work began. Now go over to verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, till dark. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of grain, of barley, or an ephah of grain. 
You see, Ruth worked from early in the morning until dark. And then after dark, she beat it out and winnowed it to get the grain. The result of her long day's work was about five and a half gallons of grain. About enough to care for these two women for two weeks. During the harvest time, you would have grabbed just a few hours of sleep. And then you would have been back up early morning, out in the field again, gathering more because all you had to eat on the rest of the year is what you gathered during those months of harvest so one way that God provided for the poor required their working and their working hard that's Tom Pennington here on the word unleashed with part seven of his series Ruth Tom will have part eight for you next time. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.